is time once again for us to take a long rest. for joining us once again for another episode of A Long Rest. This week we are taking a long rest deep in an old growth forest. So this is a very dark, very humid, mystical rainforest type situation. There are weird lights dancing all around, strange noises can be heard, as well as the occasional cackling. And with me this week, uh, Brayden and I are currently being set to watch, as no sane group of adventurers would ever sleep in a place like this without taking watch. So to pass the time and to keep ourselves sane and to keep ourselves from running, Brayden and I are just having a little bit of a chat today. So for, uh, like usual, my character that I rolled up on the random character generator that can be found within the notes. Ander is a level 9, or I, Ander, am a level 9 human warlock. The patron is not listed, so I'm going to go ahead and say is the Archfey, kind of keeping with the theme for today. So, my patron is an Archfey, and as such, I have access to a lot of illusion and persuasion-type spells, a lot of enchantment and illusion. I do my best to make sure that the enemy never truly knows who the real enemy is. On top of that, my background as a charlatan helps me out because I am used to lying. I, in fact, myself forget who I am sometimes. I get so deep within these lies. Uh, I am currently with this group traveling through this forest in an attempt to find... What else would a charlatan be interested in? Treasures and riches. As a warlock of the Arch Fey, I am always on the lookout for the most beautiful artifacts, art, statues, pictures, gems, jewelry. That is what I'm about to present to my patron in order to gain more power for myself personally. So, Braden and I are currently here sitting on watch waiting for our allies to awaken. I may have induced a sleep spell or two in order to keep them that way, but so it goes. Anything to quote-unquote help the party out. So that is my story. Go ahead, Brayden, with your character. Well, I am Krika Ironfoot, a level one deep nerd ranger. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think that I am living in the uh, shadow of my bigger brother, who is Bricka's Ironfoot, which is actually one of my characters uh, in a campaign I'm running outside of this um, <laughs> he is also a pirate, and my background is a sailor. <clears throat> I don't know how, but Andrew has somehow convinced me to leave the seas and join him in this godforsaken forest. Uh, I love using my short swords to slash up my enemies when I can, but I'm just getting the hang of combat. I'm just getting the hang of anything other than sailing, <laughs> and this is all very daunting to me. I like tending to animals, and eventually I'm going to become a beast master where my companion will be a rabbit. <laughs> I, <laughs> which isn't, <laughs> isn't uh, 
a very good thing considering one of my equipment says Lucky Charm. I can only assume it's going to be a rabbit's foot. But I'm just going to be making up for that, I guess. Um, I'm, my personality, I enjoy sailing into new ports, so this is very odd for me to be out of my comfort zone. And yet, somehow... I've developed quite a knack with grasslands and I enjoy the uh, beautiful rabbits that jump to and from, uh, sort of giving me a mental reprieve from my uh, separation from the ocean itself. I'm sitting here on watch hoping that we don't run into anything because I can guarantee that Ander is going to be doing all the work. I'm uh, not the best in combat, that's for sure. Um, I'm just waiting for my moment to get back to my ship. Alright, that is a little bit crazy because I don't remember a whole lot of Deep Gnome Sailors being mentioned in any of the Salvatore books or any of those, so that would be a very interesting combination there. Yes. But then again, there is the Dark Lake that uh, will be featured in the upcoming podcast episode of uh, Rage of Demons, which I believe you are a guest in there, Braden, so that might end up being a thing. Awesome. Thanks for the spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, we'll be talking to Brayden of B5 Homebrews. You have heard him here on the podcast before. He is all the way from Australia, uh, which is a ways away from us here in Minden, Nebraska, but we somehow managed to connect through this podcast, so that is absolutely amazing. And he is going to be talking a little bit about the Australian climate of D&D, about some of his tips and tricks as a bestseller uh, on the DMS Guild, as well as some of the sources that he uses for inspiration, how he got started in homebrewing, and about a new and upcoming project that we may have a little bit invested in. No spoilers. So, Brayden, uh, just kind of to start off, I know here in the U.S. there has been a resurgence of D&D, uh, now that 5th edition has released, since 4th edition is one of those topics that you either love or we don't talk about. So can the same be said about Australia and whatnot? Uh, I definitely think there's been a slight resurgence. I feel like Australia follows in the US's footsteps with trends and sort of media and whatnot, uh, but we lag a bit behind compared to you guys. I don't think I'd ever actually heard of any of my friends or anyone I knew playing D&D until about three or four years ago, and that's when I really sort of gained exposure to it. I watched a episode of Acquisitions Incorporated. <laughs> um, I think at that time, even then, uh, the sort of amount of content online wasn't that huge. But now, I mean, you look at you look online for D&D content, it's everywhere. Uh, there's podcasts and streams popping up all over, and it's awesome to see. Um, before I had even known about it, um, sort of been introduced to D&D three or four years ago, all I'd really heard of it was that sort of satanic panic thing that was going on. I was like, oh my god, that's so silly that people think that a game's linked to devil worshipping or whatever exactly it was. It was hilarious. Yeah. But that's what... That's all I really knew about it. I was just, yeah, ignorant. And then as soon as uh, I watched that Acquisitions Incorporated game, I fell in love with it. And it was at that point I started noticing. Um, people began talking about it a lot more. You know, the, uh, it became a lot more sort of mainstream and skip ahead to now. I mean, I could talk to any one of my friends about it. You know, people who aren't exactly what I'd consider like a geek or 
not only into sort of tabletop role playing, but they definitely know about it and they know, you know, they know a lot more about it than uh, the whole devil worshipping stigma or, you know, nerds in a basement or whatever other um, sort of stereotype is behind it. That is awesome. Yeah, that is one thing that I have noticed a little bit that always kind of makes me laugh is the whole historical devil worship, super geek kind of a thing. That stigma is really kind of starting to slough off with a lot of the big name celebrities that are playing D&D. And always one thing that really fascinates me is some of the international um, exposure with D&D. D &D. Uh, I had the pleasure in college to meet quite a few uh, people that were international students there or that people that eventually moved internationally. And so it's always kind of fun to, to see some of the differences between the states and whatnot. Uh, I know Dragon Friends is a podcast that is kind of focused there in Australia with some of those folks. You could listen to them on um, on the stream of Annihilation and is kind of when they hit quote-unquote D&D official. But I also know that like Going In Blind is another one of my very favorite podcasts that is uh, focused in the British Isles that is amazing as well. Uh, would you say that there is a whole lot of interest or whatnot as far as podcasting is concerned for D&D down there in Australia and whatnot, or is it more just kind of coming into itself? I'd say more coming into itself. I remember when we were talking about Dragon Friends, I'd, I didn't even realize they were um, Australian. I think I also listened to a podcast of Dragon Talk a couple of weeks ago where they had the uh, Dragon Friends guys on there, yes. and they were saying... They were, they were talking about how they were selling out like uh, theatres or auditoriums or something like that for their weekly D&D games. That's crazy. I did not expect that a uh, sort of Australian-based D&D group would have that much sort of um, exposure and be so popular. I definitely think, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised. I didn't realise. It's kind of inspiring, really. Maybe I should take my... Uh, weekly games to a theater or something. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. If I remember correctly, I believe I heard that same interview. And they're, uh, uh, they're a group of three comedians that kind of started this whole thing. And I, I feel that that is kind of... I don't want to say that Acquisitions Incorporated had a, a extremely influencing effect on the direction of D&D, but I definitely think that silly D&D has become a lot more mainstream, where the the barbarian goes out and does something that no sane human would do, while you know, the cleric chastises the whole group about the event, the mage acts all snooty, you know, I think that very stereotypical play style and comedy aspect is really beginning to show itself um, as D&D isn't just for nerds, it's, it's also just a fun game for people to get together and have fun with Absolutely. Yeah. I, I love how you mentioned that it's like, there's like super silly games, because I recently witnessed the crossover of um, Acquisitions Incorporated and, oh, what, no, not Acquisition, they did play together. Um, you know, what is it, Dice Camera Action? Yes. You, you watch that? Yes, um, I do. Omen Drawn was on Dice Camera Action, 
which is hilarious. So that's, yes. you know, I, I definitely consider Acquisitions Incorporated a sort of comedic group. And I think that the Dice Camera Action group is a much more serious sort of role play one. Yeah. So seeing the crossover between those two was fun. And especially in one of the more recent episodes, if you've ever watched The Adventure Zone, which is completely comedic, it's hilarious. Um, I believe I heard a couple of them, yeah. They had one of their characters, I think it was at the most recent stream, um, they had one of their characters, the Adventure Zone characters, go on to Dice Camera Action and... The way they were talking about it was hilarious because everyone else, everyone from Dice Cover Action is so serious, you know, they've got serious equipment, serious everything. Um, this character comes on, his name's Magnus, and he has a sword which is always on fire, but it has a scorpion tail at the top. It was designed by like a six year old or something like that. It's just a completely ridiculous person. <laughs> It does like 40 damage per hit, it's like super powerful. I have heard that one. Him explaining what this weapon was and the reaction of everyone else who was like sort of still stuck in their like serious way. It's just like, oh my gosh, this is hilarious. That is great. I will have to listen to that. Unfortunately, with all the the recent editing and all our new podcasts that are coming out, I I haven't had a chance to keep up, but that sounds great. That is one thing I've always enjoyed about the comedy aspect is it's I don't want to say it's one of those unspoken things in D&D, but it's one of those where something super silly happens and it remains an inside joke with the group and nobody really outside ever hears about it. But there's always that bard that rolls the nap 20 on the diplomacy check and seduces the enemy that you guys were supposed to fight the big bad, you know, or the cleric that... Um, you know, crits and attack when they're out of spell slots. And it's like, how did the healer beat the boss? You know, it's always that kind of stuff that you you know you've heard somewhere, but you can never place. So I love that that whole comedy aspect is becoming a little bit more mainstream. Yeah, it's awesome. So what is the availability like out there? I know as far as at least... In, in the middle of the Midwest, in uh, Nebraska and whatnot, there aren't a ton of WPN stores, but basically every major city and town has at least one. What is the availability like there for getting, you know, the official Adventures League, um, WPN-type stores, or as far as, like, gaming groups and conventions and whatnot? How difficult is it out there to, to kind of be a part of that? It's funny you mentioned Adventures, Adventures League in the past few weeks. You know, up until the past few weeks, I, I thought that it was uh, mainly a US thing. So I was like, oh, you know, thinking that I'd never be able to find it. But I went to, you know, I, there's only I think there's only one gaming store in my city, and it is a city. It is a city. I think it's like the fourth or fifth. Uh, highest population city in Australia. Yeah. So it, you'd think there'd be more than one or two gaming stores, but there is only one or two gaming stores. Um, I went there and I saw all these tables around. I thought there's always heaps of um, D&D figures and whatnot. It's so um, sort of mainstream in um, those sorts of stores, especially here in Australia. But I did see a, um, Adventurers League sign and I looked up on the website and they run weekly Adventurers Leagues like games all for free so I'm kind of bummed out that I only found out now otherwise I would have been playing for the past three or four years 
Yeah, no, that is that is crazy. I uh, grew up in, uh, not grew up in, but I lived in a college town right when uh, Fifth Edition released as well. And I didn't realize about the Adventures League either until well after a year that Fifth Edition released. So I got a little bit of a late start to it too. Uh, it's crazy how that kind of stuff, as mainstream as it is, it's still very unknown unless you know about D and D. You know, unless you know where to look, it, it's kind of hard to find. But that is awesome that there are stores out there, and I know we're going to be posting this up and trying to boost posts in Australia there to kind of get some of those folks a little bit more into D&D. So that is awesome to hear that you've got those. I, I know here in a uh, little bit of a plug here, we have a new gaming store just opening up in, uh, in Kearney, Nebraska called Syndicate Games, and I'm hoping that they'll be running all of that. I know the guy that's going to be in charge of a lot of that kind of adventure league stuff, so I'm hoping they definitely get into that, and uh, I'm going to be doing my best to try and help out with that as well, because Adventure League is an amazing way to get started into it, because homebrews, as you know, being a part of the podcast can be extremely confusing to a new player. Yeah, I think that it also sort of speaks to how D&D is sort of gaining popularity, popularity though, that there is only one gaming store. There's been numerous gaming stores in the city, but uh, they always seem to sprout up and then shut down, you know, a year later. But this one has, I think this one's fairly new, so I think we may have been lacking a gaming store at all for <laughs> six or seven months. But um, yeah, I think it just sort of speaks to the growing sort of popularity that it is there but nowhere near as much as what you sort of expect from a city of, you know, however many hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. So one of the things that I always laugh about is some of the misconceptions internationally. So I, I, speaking in general, I mean, a lot of the folks here in the States think Australia is nothing but a land of giant insects and snakes that do their best to kill you off as soon as they possibly can. As far as, like, games are concerned, there's a ton of rich culture there that I don't think a lot of people realize is there. So what would be some of the fun, you know, folk stories or quote-unquote common knowledge that the rest of the world may not know about Australia that you can kind of bring to the game? Well, we have these things called uh, drop bears. Have you heard of this before, Bob? I believe it or not, have not. And I, am, I love folklore, so this will be a new experience for me. Mm. I'm not sure if I should tell you this then, because you have kind of got aspirations to come to Australia in the future, <laughs> haven't you? <laughs> exactly, yes. No, scare me away before I come there, please. <laughs> so, drop bears are essentially a national kind of dad joke of sorts. We all have kind of, I don't know how we've done it, but everyone has come together without talking about coming together and said that whenever we have a tourist that doesn't know much about Australia come to Australia, we'll tell them that there are drop bears and that when they go out anywhere with trees, you have to be super careful. Essentially, we tell them they look exactly like koalas, but they're like ravenous. They'll drop from the tree onto you and begin clawing at you and, you know, slice you, uh, jugular, slice everything, you know, just kill you, essentially. <laughs> it's just, a, it's, a, it's not necessarily, like, 
doesn't have any founding in like mythology or anything of Australia necessarily as much as it just terrible Australian humor towards <laughs> tourism. That is that is awesome. But the drop bears are actually kind of cool. That would be a fun one to put in the game. Uh, as far as like creatures that would be unexpected, because I know the ambush tactics are always one that is that is interesting to add in because nobody expects it. And funnily enough, I have seen stat blocks done up for drop bears <laughs> on the Unearthed Arcana Reddit. <laughs> I am definitely going to look those up as soon as we get done with this interview. That is amazing. <laughs> uh, another cool sort of mythological creature of Australia. Um, from folklore would be the bunyip. It lives in water or like murky. It's called like a billabong in Australia, which is like a real inland um, outback sort of a swamp or creek or something like that. Yeah. Um, and I've heard it described in two ways. One way was a giant sort of muddy starfish that uh, pulls you into the water and consumes you. And the other is essentially a crocodile cross like platypus creature that also does the same thing. Essentially, it's just some sort of water spirit that comes out, grabs you, and drags you into the water to kill you. That is really, really cool. That's another one that's always kind of interesting is those that whole water scene because not a whole lot is done with aquatic adventures uh, in D&D. So that is really awesome as well. So that is really, really cool. I love those two ideas that I, I'm not going to lie, the whole drop bear ambush thing sounds like a ton of fun in one of my games. <laughs> All right, so kind of uh, as we've mentioned before and on the on the podcast, you are a bestseller on the DMS Guild with your Scroll of Strange Races, your Industrialist, and then a new upcoming project that we will announce a little bit later on in the podcast. What are some of your sources of inspiration? Kind of where do you find your your ideas for some of this kind of stuff? Hmm, definitely a lot of scrolling through the. Uh, various reddits and whatnot looking um, you begin you sort of have a seed of an idea and you'll put it up there for some critique or feedback and then one thing will lead to another and that'll spread out into a whole tree essentially uh, I love looking over new releases on the DMs Guild um, just yeah, just anywhere that content is being released, you take a look and see some stuff and then you think, you see maybe one tiny aspect of one thing and then that sort of transitions into another uh, thing. For instance, I'll say the planar class that I have up on the DMs Guild as well. Ooh, it's I, actually up now. I didn't realize it was up. I will have to get that. Yeah. Um, I had, I drew inspiration. I was on unearthed arcana and there was a class someone had made and one of the archetypes was this person who uh, uh, was it? it was like a someone who was from the shadowfell or used shadowfell energy mm. and it was at that point i was thinking oh why just use shadowfell energy when you could have a whole class around you know about drawing different energy from different planes of existence so i sort of took that kind of minute inspiration from this tiny little subclass of this whole class this fellow made and then made that into an entire class with that as sort of the inspiration being a conduit for energy from other planes of existence. 
That is awesome. That is one thing that is always kind of interesting to hear is where you kind of draw some of that from. Okay, so kind of from there, um, I know as far as inspiration, a lot of what we use here on the podcast are from uh, a lot of the, I don't want to say well-known, but a lot of the bigger third... uh, uh, third-party publishers such as Cobalt Press and Warlock Press and Middle Finger of Vecna and uh, Benjamin Huffman and all of those kind of things, but um, what are some of the big ones that you know of that you have kind of uh, either played characters from or really enjoyed characters from? What are some of those other third-party publishers that you kind of draw some inspiration from? Uh... Obviously, Outlandish Adventure Productions, which is who made the sculptor that I played in the previous um, campaign with you guys on Home Review. Yes. Uh, I love all of his stuff. I'm a big fan. One of my players is who just had his character arrested, as I've mentioned. <laughs> He's actually going to be taking on uh, the role in the party as an elementalist, which is one of the classes that oh, uh, yes. Lisa has yeah i'm excited to see how that goes yeah that will be i i have seen that class and i have looked through it but i have not well you know how it is as a dm there's a thousand characters you want to play but you're always stuck behind the screen so it is one of them that i have on my bucket list to do at some point absolutely i'll I'll run a game for you eventually awesome i am looking forward to it so Getting back to a little bit of that homebrew kind of a stuff, you know, what are some of your tips um, and tricks for being, you know, because you are a bestseller on the DMs Guild, what kind of tips can you give to some of the the quote-unquote new publishers or those that are struggling a little bit to finish, D, uh, you know, finish a, a truly polished product out there. I know we we read some of your tips online, but what are some of your, you know, word from the, uh, you know, uh, words from the source type comments on what you would do to help a new publisher come out with a polished product that will sell? You know, that people want to see that, you know, what do you do as a publisher in order to really get a product out there that you can put online that people will want? I think one thing that you would understand is that I have a great love for splotches and various uh, sort of <laughs> brush tools. I've been uh, I, I think raving the, about my splotches for the past few days. Exactly. I think the term there is obsession, and I'm not sure if it's healthy or not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, obviously, visual appearance Although you need good content, visual, visually, it's got to be a very compelling thing to want to look at. I think uh, if you can, if you don't have a budget for it, that's understandable. But if you can afford to get art commissioned, there's uh, numerous amazing arts all over the internet, particularly on uh, DeviantArt. You can like put a post up. I recently have for this next project that uh, we're working on. Uh, I put a post up on DeviantArt, and within I think it was 30 minutes, I had received about 18 different artists wanting to work with me, and uh, all of them were at a specific price that I'd mentioned in the post. So, you know, there's definitely no shortage of artists out there that are willing to work with you and willing to be flexible with your um, amount of sort of the budget that you are holding. Um, 
uh, is definitely one of the main ones. But if you can't afford that, there are a few websites that you can go on to get uh, fine art that's free of uh, copyright under the Creative Commons CCO. So you can use it for commercial uh, projects like uploading to the DMs Guild. Uh, one of those websites is Pixabay, P-I-X-A-B-A-Y. Uh, whenever I am feeling like I want to make a new homebrew or just like a subclass or something that I'm going to put up on Unearthed Arcana or something like that. I'll always go on there first and just sort of look over the various pages, you know, type in fantasy, look over the various pages of the various um, pictures that they have available and see if anything sparks my interest or um, gets me sort of my creative juices flowing in a way. once I find a piece of art from there, say it's even a background like of a castle, because they do have, a, they have many, many, many photos and or illustrations, and uh, you know, some of them are amazing quality. So after I find that, there's always this sort of uh, 5e definitely has its own style, and none of it is like a actual piece or like a photograph. All of it is art that was done by an artist. So to make it kind of look art like there's a website that i go and use called befunky.com i think it's a paid subscription it's a i think 12 dollars a year or something like that i'm not sure but uh once you do that you have access to their whole website which is it's essentially a photo editing website uh you upload your photo and then you have a number of different options and there are some options where you can turn a photo into art like there's like pop art watercolor art yeah. Uh, oil, oil art. So there are a number of um, uh, documents that I've made, particularly the uh, industrialist, which actually has only one piece of art in the entire thing that I've paid for. I was going to say, yeah. Collected from Pixabay and run through this be funky and then chucked it uh, into a program called GIMP, which I'll get into in a bit. Um, yeah, just get art commissioned or look for art online just anything to really spruce your document up with interesting bits of color and um things that will draw people's attention um one thing that i definitely highly recommend to new creators new creators as well is either have photoshop or there's a program you can get as i said called gimp it's completely free and i've been using it since I started homebrewing. There's heaps of interesting brush brush tools and splotches and things you can download that are going to make your uh, document really pop and give it that unique flair. Like you can add a big splotch of like watercolor in the background, similar to how uh, most of the monsters in uh, like Bolo's Guide say have like watercolored backgrounds. Like you can just add those little things that will get you that next step and next. Uh, the sort of closer to being an authentic kind of Wizards of the Coast feeling document. That is awesome. Uh, another one, obviously, be if you want your document, like this is all that up till now has been art, but if you want your document to obviously have the best content within it, like I said, um, the industrialist doesn't have any art that's except one piece that's paid for. But when I put that up, I don't think it had, it had maybe one or two pieces of art and the, <laughs> the cover of the industrialist was terrible. I'm lucky that the content was good within it because, um, otherwise I don't see how it would have become a bestseller, but it has received many, uh, 
iterations and since then. But I definitely recommend going to the various D and D Reddits, uh, the Discord of many things, which I just joined up with a few days ago, and I'm already enjoying uh, that community. Um, maybe getting your friends to playtest some of your creations and ask their opinions on it. Just get third, you know, second, third, fourth opinions on everything you do, regardless of what it is. Everyone has their own style of homebrewing on those websites, and um, you'll find that the insight into it will give you uh, further inspiration that will trickle down into more uh, creativity and will build ultimately a better product for you. That is awesome. Yeah, that is one thing that is always kind of tough to quantify is that you may think it's an amazing idea, your friends may think it's an amazing idea, and then you put it up on Reddit or Discord, and bam, it's crap. <laughs> so that is that is always one part that is so tough, but that is some of the best advice you can give is, you know, just because you think it's a great idea doesn't mean that everybody does. And I agree with the art 100%, though I am a little bit concerned with your obsession of splotches. Uh, <laughs> I, I do agree that art is one of those things that really makes it pop. That has always been one of my hardest aspects of it, and one of the hardest lessons to learn is that just because it's well written doesn't mean it's going to catch the eye of the people that are going to play it. So art is definitely a huge aspect of that. Um, um, I'm I guess... always browsing the uh, newest releases for the DMs Guild, and we, I see many, many, many uh, documents of release that have no art or uh, difference in them, but they have incredible content, and they do not receive the sort of... Uh, they don't receive the praise that they should because there's nothing in them that's really drawing people into them. They look at it and say, oh, this is just another uh, half-assed homebrew that's been uploaded to the DMs Guild and they won't look over it. But if they had art that, that would draw people into the document, then they would get you know lost in the creative aspect of it, the flavor of your homebrew class, subclass, race, whatever it is. So art, art is 100% the way to get sort of noticed and have that professional look. Exactly. I agree 100%. I know uh, a little bit of shameless self-promotion on your part, or me promoting you, I guess, for lack of a better term, but um, I know the industrialist class was one of them that I found a long time before you ever joined the show, and I just loved that initial art image of the, I don't know what you want to call it, the engineer, the tinker, what it was, that, that whole goggled individual right in yep. the beginning of the uh, the PDF you know over his workshop with the motor or the, the I don't remember off the top of my head but I think it was like a motor or some sort of gadget he was working on which is like oh my gosh I kind of know what this character is about and I would love to play this type of character so yeah, yeah. Definitely. Um, that, that also comes, that image comes from the DMs Guild. Uh, there's a bunch of creator resources on there that you can download. Uh, all of them are free to use with your uh, DMs Guild material, so you, you can download them, modify them in GIMP, like how I said. Like, you notice that that definitely had been sort of modified and changed around. I don't know how I did it so well, but that cover is probably the best cover I've ever done. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah, no, that is that is one thing that cannot be, um, I don't want to say overlooked, but I, I feel as writers sometimes, you know, I, 
I'm adding you into this category. But um, as writers, sometimes you know it's hard to pro- it's hard to remember some of those other sources, you know, of inspiration of of what people want to see because nobody wants to read 10 pages of text in order to get an idea. They want to see an image, they want to see a headline, and that is how they figure out what they want to do. Definitely. So what, I guess if you have like 5 or 10 or you pick an arbitrary number, what 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 would be tips that you wish you would have known before you started homebrewing? What are like you know, pick a number, you know, what are your top tips for what you wish you would have known before you started homebrewing to help be successful, to have a good time, to not, you know, end up stressing stressing over the fact that you have only 10 downloads in a week. You know, what, what would be your, your top tips? <laughs> um, I'd definitely say don't be so invested in your own ideas and be willing to change. I'm not, I'm not stubborn. I'm, I'm a stubborn person. Oh, <laughs> I'm stubborn calling myself stubborn. I'm, uh, <laughs> so I, at the start, I definitely got fairly invested in my ideas. And when a few of them got shot down immediately, I was like, well, you know, this is this person's fault or <laughs> something else. But you've got to realize that this person that is posting on your thing most of the time is doing it for your best interest and is looking into your document to help you not to shoot you down and if it is indeed bad then it is indeed bad and you should go back to the drawing board or gather information i've had a number of um people that have commented on my unearthed arcana posts with something that seems like uh uh, hate hating on what I'm doing, but you got to look at it constructively. I, you know, immediately I messaged them back. I'm like, how could I improve this? And they see that you're serious about what you're doing, so they'll offer their insight, and then that will lead to uh, you further furthering your product. Uh, I definitely wish another thing I'd known was just how to operate Photoshop or GIMP. I'm not sure when you got the industrialist, but when it first came out, that that cover was an eyesore. Man, it was it was one of the ugliest things I've ever seen. I don't know how it became a um, bestseller. The even with that cover on, it still got uh, featured on a couple of websites and podcasts. Which and I'm I'm very glad that the content was better than the art style I had presented on the outside. But I wish that I'd known sort of more or just looked into. Uh, the official documents a bit more and really try to replicate those instead of just trying to make my own thing. So, talk a little bit about about this. uh, I know we've made mention to it a couple of times before, but what is your quote-unquote latest project you've got coming out? Not that I have any kind of involvement in that at all. However, comma, shameless (laughs) self-plug. Uh, that would be The Scroll of Strange Races, Volume 2. <gasps> oh, I'm spending all of my money on it now. Here's my life savings. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a massive collaboration between myself and the Adventuring Guild, and I am super pumped to release it so everyone can have a look. Um, working with myself, Bob, Virgil, Micah, Hope, Michael, Luke, all of us are doing our best to get this product as polished as possible so when we release it it's going to hopefully become a bestseller immediately. That is awesome. And with 
with you putting your entire life savings into it, I can guarantee it's going to become a platinum bestseller immediately. Yes, I, I have got my routing number and my checking account right here, and I'm going to be giving you a blank check with those numbers for you to fill in. <laughs> <laughs> One billion dollars, thank you, sir. <laughs> exactly, yes, because me as a lowly worker here, in, as a lonely man, a lowly manager here in Minden, Nebraska, I clearly have that much money in my bank account. You're on that, that, that billionaire budget. Exactly, yes. Uh, well, yeah, I've got the credit for it, I'm sure. Just don't worry about it. So what are some of the races that will be available? There's a little bit of teaser on each, because I know some of these, the names don't exactly fit what they are. I think I could throw some of these to you, considering you've been a fairly uh, lead designer in many of them, but uh, <laughs> I'll just, I'll just uh, say the Nature Bound, and if you, you know, you want to give a little description. I feel like you could do a better job than I could. Okay, the the two that I took kind of a part of are the Nature Bound and the Mook. Um, so the Nature Bound is basically a spirit that inhabits a group of plants. So think like a druid that died in protection of his grove, inhabits a tree, and becomes a treant that that whoops the ass out of whatever loggers happen to be taking down this grove. And then the mook is a 100% port over from one of my favorite games of all time. I know I have a ton of favorite games of all time, but Wizardry 8 was an amazing one for me. And the mook was kind of a, a Wookiee steampunk engineer kind of a character. And uh, I tried to make that race from that. So those are my two contributions to this scroll. And then we have the Kakamora, which is similar to the Kakamora found in Moana. The is a Disney animation. Um, it is essentially a tribal coconut person that <laughs> uh, in in the scroll they are sort of known to worship the ocean and revere it greatly. Uh, one of their little special abilities that they have is that they can tuck their arms and legs inside of their coconut and they can be thrown by an ally, which is going to be all sorts of fun. I'm so excited. Living cannonball! <laughs> yes. In fact, one of the... This is another spoiler, but it's fine. We'll, we'll do it for this podcast. One of the little blurbs I wrote up for the stat blocks of the Kakamora NPC was the Kakamora Tribalist, which one of the tactics that I'd written they use is that they form a rank of spear, like a spear wall essentially, and then other Kakamora behind them throwing darts and spears and whatnot over the top and event every now and then they'll toss a Kakamora over the top into their enemy ranks so they can like explode out and begin hacking and slashing and doing whatever they can do. That is awesome. I know we were joking around a little bit about some of the uh, AOE concentration spells you could cast on a purse on a, a Kukumura and then throw them, you know, some of the exploits of that. But that is absolutely awesome. It's going to be fun to hear the different uh, effects that people chain together with that ability. Exactly. Uh, the next is the Unchained Familiar, which is a familiar like a wizard's familiar that has broken its, its pact somehow and has ended up a sentient and free creature. Uh, they're still stuck in the body of a beast with the limitations that come with that, but it is a lot of fun. Uh, at the start, I was a bit 
concerned that we had a tiny race, but it is the Scroll of Strange races, and the way this was uh, Luke's race, and the way he has laid this out is amazing. I'm super pumped to hear more stories about people playing as a rabbit or a owl or a snake or anything like that. It's going to be awesome. Yes, it will be. Next is the Arachnid, which is one of Virgil's creations. It is a spider-like humanoid that lives on the fringes of society. They are sort of praised with their hunting prowess, and they have the ability, there's two subclasses there, they have the ability to walk on water, similar to how some spiders create little pockets of air underneath their feet as they step, or they have the ability to spider climb, so it's a constant sort of on effect making them incredibly proficient hunters wherever the hunt is going. And finally, the last is one of my creations, the Shelk, which is a crab centaur. Enjoy that. <laughs> I don't think I have to say much more than that, crab centaur. Uh, they, they float around on giant islands made of debris and uh, driftwood and whatnot that they put together, and they create these... Although they are not innate swimmers themselves, they do live on the ocean on these giant islands and uh, sail it to various points of the earth. Um, they are proficient with a weapon that we have exclusive to the Scroll of Strange Races, which I believe has been made a number of times before, which is the Harpoon. Yes. Uh, so, so look forward to seeing a new weapon in the mix. Uh, another thing that we've got is a actual magic item section at the back with the scroll of strange races studded up for you to put into your homebrew world it is a artifact level item so it is incredibly powerful yes yeah excited to get the scroll out there the previous scroll of strange races only had i believe six pages this one is going to be a total of about 30 or 31 so there's a ton of content in there all the things that i got advised on from the first scroll i have completely uh, taken note of and put into this scroll so this one i've covered we've covered all all stops and there are many many splotches to be enjoyed <laughs> yes the splotches are slightly concerning but uh Hopefully they will be worth it with as much time and energy and thought as you were putting into them. Um, <laughs> yes. And I know equally concerning is there are two characters, one that has actually been in a podcast ported over, and uh, one that has been mentioned in the backstory of that podcast. Um, there's going to be a couple of guests that are putting their own thoughts into this uh, scroll of strange races. So I'll let you talk a little bit about those characters. Yeah, similar to how Volo uh, provides insightful commentary in Volo's Guide to Monsters, we have uh, one character that I definitely wanted to provide insight. There's uh, Magnus Orion, who is, has a fairly extensive background, both on the Homebrew Review podcast and off the podcast. Uh, we also saw him in uh, featured in the last episode of A Long Rest, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, no, the last one was Virgil. The one before that was Magnus. That's right. There we go. One of the podcasts, uh, Arthur came on and spoke about Magnus and gave him, gave him a detailed description and uh, explained his backstory and everything there. And he's got a very coloured past, so I'm excited to showcase that character out to the world. And the document has actually been given to Magnus by a 
mysterious benefactor. Uh, are we allowed to say who exactly? Or yeah, go ahead. That is Halcyon. Uh, what relation does Magnus have to me? Halcyon is the one that made modifications to Magnus, as in the Numenera system with the flesh to steel um, adjective. Halcyon is the one that has a modified Magnus with all of these cybernetic features, both willingly and unwillingly. And one th- fun thing you can expect, uh, Magnus is going to be started up, so... Considering he is the current owner of the Scroll of Strange Races, if you want to add Magnus into your game with the scroll, you can do so, and you can pit your players against him or uh, coerce the scroll away from him. So that's something to look forward to. Yes, it is. I believe we've even joked about, um, since Magnus is a quote-unquote legendary-type creature, um, he is going to be Magnus the Deadly Dozen Orion, (laughs) which is uh, 12 strikes with his glaive uh, as he attacks or whatnot. So we've been teasing about that, but you'll see the actual stats in the Scroll of Strange Races when it launches. All right. So I know we've talked a ton about B5 homebrews and some of your new projects and some of your tricks and tips. Um, But uh, what is one of the things that you would recommend as far as a DM to other DMs or creators of content? We have a DM review section where DM recommendations, where a DM can kind of post some of their awesome thoughts. But what are some of your thoughts as a guest on the show, as well as a DM in your own right and a bestseller on the DMS Guild? I would recommend a program that I've already spoken about on the podcast, uh, GIMP. It is a weird-sounding name, but it is an awesome program. it is essentially Photoshop, but a free version. There's like millions of uh, different, well, what's the word I'm for? Tutorials. There's millions yes. of different tutorials online that you can look through um, to give you that sort of upper hand with this program. It's pretty daunting at first looking at all the different tools and whatnot that you can use, and I'm still uh, learning a lot with this program. But once you get into it, it's, it's an awesome tool to use for uh, upcoming sort of producers of homebrew content, especially when you've got those uh, creator resources that DM's Guild gives out. Uh, on my planner class, another class that I didn't pay any money for, for whatsoever, I used Pixabay and the DM's Guild uh, creator resources, but a lot of them come in pictures with like unique backgrounds and things like that. Uh, what I did was essentially just go in get the cropping tool and crop out the character around the you know outline of them and then put in like a unique background from pixabay or a splotch of color um if you can't afford photoshop and the whole package the adobe package is fairly expensive which i understand you can't which is why i'm using uh, again <laughs> I, de- I, I, I definitely recommend it it's it's an awesome tool to have for homebrewers particularly um and something that will give you a step ahead when it comes to uh, getting your products out there and becoming a bestseller. Yes, that is awesome. That is one thing that is can never be, you know, uh, I don't want to say underrated, but, you know, anything that is a free software is absolutely a blessing. So where can they go to see more of B5 Homebrews? I am on the DMs Guild exclusively, I believe. 
you can go on the DMs Guild, just enter the search bar and type in B, the letter B and the number 5, press enter, and that will pretty much bring up all of my stuff. I have uh, put the, n- the letter and number B5 before all of my homebrew, so you can easily find everything on the DMs Guild there. And, um, yeah, just look for future um, releases from us where where. I'm saying where, but there's only one of me. I am, uh, <laughs> you know, it sounds more official when you sound like you've got a team behind you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you'll probably hear a bit about it from the Adventuring Guild as well on their various uh, social media platforms as we are collaborating in the process. So look forward to that. Look forward to future um, documents coming out from us. I've got uh, I a couple of ideas in the works for a when my industrialist class goes gold bestseller, a gold version of the industrialist now with full commissioned art and a number of different subclasses to add in with it. So look forward to that. Yes, please, 100% support. We have got our, uh, in the chaos plan, we have got Luke's character, Quincy, playing an industrialist as well. So if you want to hear a little bit of that, go to patreon.com slash adventuring guild, and you will see uh, Quincy play that character as well. And uh, as far as Brayden's homebrew, please, please, please check it out. It is absolutely amazing. And the Scroll of Strange Races releasing in mid-August is going to be a little bit of a cornerstone for the Adventuring Guild as we kind of collaborated on that. It is through B5 Homebrews. Uh, but we did help out with a lot with that as far as the design is concerned, but Braden is the cornerstone of that whole process. From there, we will begin with the DM uh, recommendations. Uh, Braden his, did his talk about a little bit about the uh, Splotches tool. Um, the deal that I will be re- recommending is the Grim Dark. Uh, a book of fairy tales, a packet made by Point of Inspiration. Uh, they are unfortunately no longer publishing, but this packet is absolutely amazing. Uh, it has so much fae lore, and it isn't just like fae as far as like Disney princesses are concerned. It is very much a document, dark and twisted. Um, the original grim dark fairy tales as far as like the tooth fairy steals your teeth i mean the tooth fairy isn't just something that takes spare teeth and gives kids quarters or dollars or whatever when they lose one this is a character uh this is a creature that is made essentially of teeth this um this packet is an absolute amazing thing to add to any darker campaign that wants to involve the Feywild. It it includes a lot of lore and whatnot with the different queens of the fairy, including like the Queen of Ash. Um, There is a ton of bestiary information, including those of the Jabberwocky. Um, All new types of goblins as well, as well as some of the monarchs of the Fae. Within it is also a ton of new player content. There are new races, as well as a race variant that I have used uh, a ton in the campaign with Virgil uh, when I first made a character for one of his uh, games. Some of the race variants include new race race features that you can trade out 
with some of your current race features, like you sacrifice a certain number of class features in order to be able to gain different ones, including like um, alien features, which gives you proficiency in the perception skill. Uh, you can gain the ability to speak to beasts, uh, dark vision. You can gain wings, um, an unworldly beauty, which gains you, or which enemies have disadvantage against charm effects by you. So just an absolutely astounding amount of features, as well as a new race called the Siren, which is absolutely devastating if you want to play a very unassuming character. There are also uh, subclasses for the Bard, the Blood Hunter, the Ranger, the Sorcerer, the Warlock, and the Wizard as well as multiple backgrounds and uh, features. The backgrounds that are extended are called the Wildborn, which has a ton of features that are exclusive to the storybook setting, as if you were a character in a story. And some of the magic items are exceptionally creative as far as some of their features that are above and beyond what you would think of as far as normal backgrounds, like or as far as normal features. Like, one of these feats is called Mad as a Hair, and it is absolutely hilarious and creative. And some of these magic items are absolutely devastating in their effect, such as the um, golden egg. The golden egg, which takes part in quite a few fairy tales, uh, is laid by the golden goose of immense power and divinity. The egg itself is worth roughly 5,000 platinum pieces. It's enough money to buy your own kingdom. However, comma, if the egg is consumed, it grants the eater the following benefits um, of a long rest instant instantaneously. Um, additionally, the consumer gains temporary uh, magical abilities. Until their next short rest, they can cast a spell from the Archfey's patron spell list, found in the Warlock section of the player's handbook. Uh, they can only cast a spell once, and it does not require any components. So, depending on the level of the person that consumes that golden egg, they have an amazing ability available to them. So it, it, it's crazy some of the stuff they created with this, and I am truly saddened by the fact that they are no longer publishing. Um, but it is absolutely amazing what they have come up with. So uh, I guess, Brayden, do you have any following things? I know I sent that packet information to you. Do you have any, uh, any closing statements or anything that you would like to add to that? Uh, as far as the Grimdark packet? It's funny that you mentioned the Tooth Fairy, because looking through that document, that was one of the creatures that I stopped at, and I was like, I need to incorporate this in yes. my game. <laughs> the, players, the players won't know what hit them. They will get all sorts of cavities. <laughs> I think one of their abilities was to create cavities, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, let me scroll up here just real quick. Um... Okay, here I am. The Tooth Fairy. Let me scroll over. Uh, they do play a ton of pranks on characters, including those where they lose their teeth. So yes, that is that is one of the crazy abilities that they do have. My friend's new character. The sparkly new character just missing teeth on the first session. <laughs> oh my gosh. That would be absolutely ridiculous. I mean, it's bad enough having your character arrested. However, comma, now you come back with no teeth whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I think that, that that document in particular is a great attest to how colour definitely sells a product. I believe I do not believe that they have ownership of the art, so I'm not sure whether that's just a free document or they've been selling it, but um, I mean, it's received, from what I can tell, a lot of recognition in the homebrew community for being such an awesome uh, document, and you can tell why they put so much effort into it. Their splotch game is amazing. Uh, they've got, <laughs> they've got uh, awesome use of colour, and when you're scrolling through it, you know, the, the name sort of fades away into, you know, you expect it to be a dark sort of gloomy document, but once you're inside, you're looking at the artwork that they've got, uh, and it is a beautiful, beautiful document. Yes, it is. As dark and as twisted as it is, uh, I'm even getting on their splotch game on this behind some of the character art. It is it is absolutely fantastic to see what they've done as far as the presentation of it. It, it not only is very beautiful, but is also very dark and twisted um, as far as some of their art is concerned. It is not your typical fairy tale. Now for a little bit of a new thing that I'm going to try out called the DM Toolkit. This is going to include some of the different programs and things that I use in order to help make my table management a little bit easier. I am notorious for having papers scattered around, files with random names on them, and different random items stuffed into boxes and crates that I pull out in order to make my table a little bit more efficient and more fun for my players. So for this one, we're going to be talking about the World Builder Kit from r-n-w.net. And this wonderful little PDF set that I found has been so much fun and so useful. There have been very few things that I did not like about this. Uh, overall, this entire set, uh, I bought the Deluxe Kit, the World Builder Deluxe Kit, and it has been worth every penny I spent on it. Uh, some of the fun things that I really enjoyed are like the history within your world. I love lore. I love a very vibrant backstory to everything that is a part of my game. And this really let me help flesh it out with things like how the history of the land is viewed and judged, how it is passed down, are the inhabitants aware of the history? And are there any lessons society has learned from history? So it really allows you to have things that were essentially lost to time within there. Uh, stories that may not be common knowledge, but that only the most learned would know. And it shows whether or not people are actually taking history and learning from it, or if it is literally just stories that nobody really believes in anymore. One of the other ones that I really, really enjoyed was the trade and politics uh, section. Once again, lots of lore, lots of structure there to help shape the land that I create and deal with. Uh, the structure of government uh, is one of the sections, along with prominent figures and organizations within that government. Uh, besides who the ruler is, you know, you could have it may be ruled by a king. However, one of the guilds is actually the one funding the kingdom. So they're technically the ones in charge, even if the king is the figurehead of that. There's also important laws and law enforcement in here. It's always a, a blast when a PC ends up getting arrested. Uh, because everybody figures eventually PCs could die in combat, but nobody thinks about them getting arrested and put away. Uh, some of the other things are, uh, what is illegal in this country? Is there a particular substance or, or spells or trade goods that are illegal in this area? Uh, could it be that you are not able to ship 
uh, certain kinds of food in and out of this country uh, because of a religion that is uh, in charge of the government, and they view that food as taboo. Uh, it could be anything along those lines. What are some of the common punishments and extreme punishments in this kind of thing? And then there's a section there on trade goods. Uh, the name of the good, its use, who has it, and who wants it. So this could be anything as mundane as, uh, like I said earlier, uh, food-type items, or this could be as elaborate as magic items, as mana, if mana manifests in some sort of form that is a solid in substance as opposed to just being a an energy source, essentially. Uh, one of the other really cool ones that I think gets breezed over a lot is the lay of the land with flora and fauna. This section of the PDF allowed me to create some common creatures that you would see as opposed to just, oh, there's this monster that you have to fight. It could be, hey, there are these little critters running around that are just kind of fun. Uh, somebody wants to tame one or whatever like that. It, it adds a little bit of flavor into the game that you normally wouldn't have. Uh, this section of the PDF also includes, uh, besides just common creatures, what prized prey are, the habitats in this area, and what they are hunted for. So you could have um, creatures that are hunted for alchemical purposes as opposed to just food and fur. Uh, and that's really cool, and you can write that in there. There's also a section here about dangerous predators, uh, their layers and territory, and some of their behaviors. So you could have something like, uh, like, like a blink dog or something like that, that its behavior is to ambush its prey, or uh, like what Braden was talking about earlier, drop bears. You know, what are some of those? Those are dangerous predators. They live in the trees or their territory and forests and that. And their behavior is they ambush unsuspecting people that walk below them. And you can list all of that out. Uh, also, there's natural hazards here. Some of the plants, uh, where uh, are they common? Are they cultivated? Uh, what valuable herbs are here? What special ingredients can be found? As well as pests. So this can be, this is a fun little section that I put down. Uh, in some of my world building, I have these creatures that are a lot like the Zerg from uh, StarCraft. And the little Zerglings would be for any PC of higher level than, you know, four or five, these would be a breeze, so they would be considered pests for those. However, for like the the farmers and the other commoners, uh, they would definitely be a dangerous predator. So there's some of that gray area that you can put in there that would depend upon level, but it, it really does help flesh things out. Uh, there are several other different sections. I'll breeze over them so that I'm not giving away everything in this PDF because you, you have to check it out for yourself. But there's also people and uh, people and customs guides. So this allows for uh, picking a specific area in your world or town in your world and writing down some of the core beliefs that are important hubs of business, of communication, you know, the local donut shop kind of a deal, you know, or that could be the town hall, uh, wherever an important hub would be. Uh, it also, what I think is really, really cool, is it has manners and common phrases. So, like, you could have some of that slang term, some of that, those, those strange little mnemonic devices that the strange little phrases people say that make no context outside of of that area. Like, one that I comes to my mind immediately is, they kicked the bucket. That has nothing to do with death. However, comma, everybody knows that kick the bucket means somebody died. Uh, it's one of those fun little phrases that can be added in there that is a lot of fun. Uh, you can make those up for your world. There's also a thing for prejudices and minorities, and then culture, as far as dress, music, and entertainment is concerned. Uh, there's two other sections that I want to highlight before I end this review of this product. 
And this one here uh, is another really neat one called Organizations. Uh, uh, an organization maker. I use it for my guilds. I have a very extensive guild system within my home games, and it allows me to write down the operations uh, within this this organization. What do they do? Some of their symbology. Their, what their purpose is, their alignment, how big are they, what are their accomplishments, meeting places, and important members. So all of those things can be kept track of because my guilds are kind of where it's where all my story hooks come out of except for like random encounters along the side of the road or artifacts that may or may not be found. So having that ability to just open up this PDF document and recall all this information that I may not remember from session three and here we are session 12 revisiting it. So it really does help keep all that in one area. And the last one I'm going to highlight is probably the one that I use the most extensively is the town builder. I love having lots of little towns everywhere. I love having unique little features. Well, this town was built around a mine, and that is literally the only thing in the town other than the normal uh, markets and whatnot that you would need to have. This town is specifically built for its mine. And so being able to keep track of all of those little towns uh, and write down what the uh, the demographic, uh, what the population is like there, what uh, the people are like, how are they dressed, uh, some of the history of the place, what are the industry and resources of this town, and some of the culture, uh, like what beliefs are shared. Is this a town that is very uh, theocratic in style, where it is all centered around a church? Is this a a market-type town, crossroads, where it's full of nothing but strangers and travelers? Uh, and then there's also a section at the bottom about the government. Uh, just once again, writing down real brief, who is in charge, what are they like, and how do they rule? Uh, it's a little bit small scale than the whole political situation that was mentioned earlier, uh, in the politics section, uh, but it's still nice to have that information there. The last little thing I want to make note of is that I there is a section for session notes, and I love the design of them. I just have not personally used them yet. I'm a pen and pay pencil kind of guy, so a lot of my session notes are scribbled on whatever piece of paper that I can find, and they're never able to make sense. But I do it that way anyway, a creature of habit. But their session tracker is very nice as well. It allows you to really keep track of some of the more minor details that may not seem important now, but your PCs are inevitably going to ask, oh, who was that PC and where did they live? Who was that NPC and where did they live again? And that would help you kind of keep track of that kind of stuff. Uh, so once again, for my DM toolkit, this uh, World Builder kit is absolutely fantastic. I suggest you check out their website. They have a ton of other products out there, including item cards. Uh, there's different uh, character sheets, each specifically for a class, uh, as well as dice bags and everything like that. But this, this PDF was worth every single penny I spent on it. I would uh, highly suggest you check it out. So to find that website, you just type in r-n-w.net. Uh, once again, just check out their product. It is absolutely fantastic, and it is one that I don't know what I would do without. So it is about time for the party to wake up as dawn is slowly arriving, and I know for a fact that Braden and I uh, definitely want to get out of here as this... this uh, forest with all of its laughter and all of its strange lights and noises is extremely disturbing. So, as we all put out the campfire because Smokey the Owlbear hates forest fireballs, I know 
we are going to give a kind of our last parting statement. So, Brayden, where can we find you online if we want to download your works or find out more about some of your upcoming projects? Uh, head to the DMs Guild. You can always find me there uh, under B5 Homebrews. I'm always on the Unearthed Arcana Reddit posting uh, sort of drafts and things like that, so you can go there and find that out. I will probably have to create a Facebook page after this to <laughs> be that. B5 Homebrews on Facebook, let's say. That'll be a thing. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and on Discord and many things, I'm Braden5, so I'm always going to... I've only just joined up there, but I'm going to do my best to offer insight to other people's homebrew as they have offered insight into mine. That is awesome. I know you've challenged us here at the DMS Guild. Uh, the most recent one was a paladin show-off, kind of, to create the best paladin subclass. So hopefully we will have that up on the uh, Adventuring Guild as well for the DMS Guild. And our, uh, our label there, I guess, would be the dash adventuring guild uh, for reddit but hopefully yeah we will be able to collaborate more on some of these amazing documents so thank you very much for joining us for another edition of a long rest it is time for all of us to flee this very haunted forest and hopefully next time we meet we will be starting off the rage of demons campaign uh, which Braden is in fact a uh, member of so thank you very, very much for joining us for that, and we hope you join us for the next edition of A Long Rest. See you later, guys.